0: Amen. Thanks, Clark, for leading us in that song. Great to have Jeremy here as well from our Norwalk campus this weekend. Again, good to be with all of you and to continue our series in the book of Revelation, where we've been walking chapter by chapter, uh, looking at God's sovereign plan, uh, both to bring encouragement and challenge to the church today, and to also lay out the future of where history is headed, and we're so glad that you guys are here. It was uh, 1939, and the German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he had just stepped onto the shores of New York City. He was trying to escape all that was occurring with World War II at its epicenter in Germany, where he was from. And pretty quickly, he realized that if he really wanted to help the church In Germany, he could not abandon it in its darkest hour. And so within a month, he was sailing back to Germany to make an impact, where he would serve and where he would proclaim the gospel and where he would teach in a seminary that opposed the the Nazi regime until one day he was arrested and his sentence would be death. And yet, even after his sentencing, that didn't stop Bonhoeffer from continuing to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He was God's witness, whether it was in a jail cell, whether he was being transported in shackles or laying on a cot, destitute next to other prisoners, but continuing to preach the good news of Jesus. Until one fateful day, when he was about to be executed... And he preached his last sermon, and these were some of his last words. This is for me the end, the beginning of life. And with that, he was hanged for his faith. This is for me the end, the beginning of life. See, Bonhoeffer, I think he could say those words because at the core of his being, he believed what Jesus had said in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Bonhoeffer, he felt that tension, even in those moments, he felt the enemy of his soul coming to steal and kill and destroy him and the church of Germany. And yet at the same time, he experienced the life that Jesus brings us that gives us hope even for life beyond this life, so that he knew he was stepping into a great future with Christ. Well, this weekend as we continue in Revelation chapter 11, we're going to be faced again with that same tension that is borne out in John chapter 10, verse 10. The tension of the enemy, the dark forces, the rebellion of humanity, stealing and killing and destroying, and at the same time seeing the hope of Jesus, the truth of the gospel held out. And in this chapter, we're going to really answer three questions that that are really, really important for all of us here this weekend. Number one, what is our role in this dark world? Because it was a dark time when John gained this vision from Jesus that he ended up writing that we now know as the book of Revelation. And what's our role? You see, John was writing to a specific group of people, uh, seven different churches in that day that were living in darkness. And what was their role? What's our role today? The second question, what should we expect to happen when we live out our role, our God-given role? And then finally, what will the outcome be for those who endure their role? So this is a, a chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, beginning in verse 1. And I just want to read the first three verses, and then we'll we'll take note of a few things. It says, Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the number of worshipers. He said, But do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months." And I will give power to my witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during these 1,260 days. John is given a vision, and what we've seen so far is that um, trumpets have been blown, and seals have been released, and judgment is continuing to come, and yet in the midst of judgment, there's moments of mercy and God's faithfulness. And God's holding out hope for people to turn back to him. And he says here that there's going to be this time period where, where God is going to give over his very throne room, his holy city, and let people have their way. There's two observations that I make here. In his sovereignty, God turns over the outer courtyard of the nations, to the nations, only for them to trample it. For 42 months. Now notice, he gives them the outer courtyard, but not the inner courtyard, where the very presence of God is. But God allows for the people to trample over God's place, and and even over God's people. The enemy is stealing and killing and destroying. And yet, at the very same time, in his sovereignty, God raises up and gives power to, to two witnesses that will prophesy for those very same days so we see this tension playing out the world the nations are trampling god's people and yet god at the same time is sending out his witnesses to bear to his truth what it says to us is that the world may trample over god's people but god's word and his mission cannot be stopped David Akin in his commentary on the book of Revelation puts it this way. He says, God's plan marches on. He says, sinful humanity may have its say for a day, but the Lord God, the Almighty, has his say for all eternity. What we've seen throughout the pages of Revelation is that God is sovereign and he is on the throne. No matter what it looks like, no matter how bad it may get, God is still in control. So who are these witnesses, these two witnesses that John sees? There's lots of debate about who they are. Some believe it's Elijah. Some believe uh, it's others. We don't know for certain. It's really hard to know for sure who they might be. I think it's more important for us to observe how they're described in the text. So let's look at that. In verse 4, it says, These two prophets or or witnesses, they are like two olive trees and the two lampstands, he says, that stand before the Lord of all the earth. Now, in, in biblical times, olive oil was used to anoint servants of the Lord. And so, at first, we see these two witnesses, these two prophets, almost anointed as servants of the living God. But what else is oil used for? In that day, it was used for the lamps, to bring light. And that's how how they're referenced as these these lampstands that shed light. One Bible commentator says they are divine light bearers sent to show God's light and his love and his truth in the midst of the darkness. But not only that, there's more to it. It answers really the question for us, what's our role then in this dark world? What was the role of those that John was writing to in the dark world that they were living in? It's that we too are called to be his witnesses, to be divine light bearers, to point to Jesus who is the light. But not only that, they, these witnesses, they came and they were the light, but they also had divine power as well. Why? Because nothing was going to stop God's message from getting out. Look at the text, verse 5 and following. It says, if anyone tries to harm them, that is to try to harm these two witnesses, these prophets, God's protection is over them. It says, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. He says, this is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. There would be punishment for, for fighting against these two chosen witnesses, it says they have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. It says that they have power to turn rivers and oceans to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. And just like the plagues of the Old Testament that were meant to call people's attention and allegiance back to the one true God, so it is with these witnesses. They're calling out, they're pronouncing plagues and they're, they're calling for people to repent. That leads to what their message really was. What were, they, what, was they, what were they trying to accomplish? What was it that they had to say in the midst of this dark world? Remember what it said in verse 3, And I will give them power to these two witnesses. And it says they will be clothed in burlap, and they will prophesy. I think these two witnesses were going to prophesy God's truth. That's the role of a prophet, is to reiterate God's divine will. It's not just about what is coming in the future, but it's about what God is calling people to right now. And that's what these witnesses were doing. They were prophesying. They were proclaiming judgment, calling people. But, But there's something else going on here. It says that they were clothed in burlap. This was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of sorrow. It was a sign of repentance. And so in reality, the message of these two witnesses, it was both judgment, but it was also a message of repentance, and they led the way. And we see this throughout the Scriptures. Old Testament prophets, yes, proclaiming the truth of God's Word and calling people to turn back to Him but then personally leading the way in repentance saying, God, forgive me, forgive us, show mercy to us. And so it was the message of these two witnesses to pronounce God's truth, but to call people back to repentance. Because even in the midst of judgment, there's the possibility of mercy and grace and forgiveness. This wasn't the first time that witnesses were sent out. In the Gospels, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. And in Matthew 10, 5 and 8, it says, And Jesus sent out the 12 with these instructions. He said, Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. And he said, Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. And then look at what he says: he says, And heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. Those first apostles that were sent out, they were sent out with a message to be his witnesses, but they were also sent out with great power. And that seems really enticing, like, wow, if God's going to do powerful, mighty things through us if we step forward in our role as his witnesses, we like that part. But look at what else Jesus said in Matthew 10. He said, look, I'm sending you out, though, as sheep among wolves, so be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware, he says, for you will be handed over to the courts. You'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this, he says, will be your opportunity. Your opportunity to tell the rulers and to tell other unbelievers about me. In the midst of of great persecution, suffering, opposition. It leads us to another understanding that opposition can lead to opportunity. Just because it gets hard doesn't mean that it's not worth it. In fact, when you you look at the history of the church and the history of the gospel in our world, do you know when, when the gospel, when the good news about Jesus spread the most rapidly and when people are the most responsive oftentimes it's in the midst of great opposition great persecution and the hope of Jesus spreads like wildfire and John was catching a vision of both what was to come and a message of encouragement to remind the seven churches to to stay faithful to take on their role as witnesses in this dark world and to know, like we all should know, what should we expect to happen when we live out our role as his witnesses? Yes, we can expect opposition and suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that every time that we you know, stretch ourselves or get out of our comfort zone to, to share our faith with somebody else that it's going to be immediately met with opposition, but it, but it may But how much does that person matter? I don't know who who you have in your life that you've been praying for, that you care about, that you long for them to, to discover the hope that you've discovered in relationship with Jesus. Don't give up on them. No matter how hard it gets, no, even, even maybe when there's a stiff arm, when, when there's just a pushing away, when there's a rejection of what you want to share, your, your story, or your invitation to come to a Bible study or, or to church with you, don't give up. Because with opposition, there can be great opportunity, and we can expect it. And the, the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, they felt it. Look at the text with me in verse 7 and following. It says, "When they complete their testimony, it says the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them." Just stop right there for a moment. Remember John 10:10? 10, this tension that we're all living in, this tension that John was feeling, this tension that they would feel in this time That the thief will come to steal and kill and destroy. And here this beast is rising up out of this bottomless pit to declare war against who? Against these two witnesses that have been proclaiming God's truth and calling people to repent. It says, and he will conquer them and he will kill them. These two witnesses, were, they believed what they had to share was so true. But they were willing to give their lives for it. And there have been martyrs through the ages that have given their life to share Jesus with others. Because they know what a difference it can make. It says this this beast conquers them, kills them. It says, and their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is... Figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Sodom is a reference to incestuousness and licentiousness and immorality. And and Egypt is a is a reference to idolatry. And and John is catching this vision, and it's like the very place, the kind of the, the ground central of God's work, Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified, has now become. This place of complete waywardness and darkness. And it says the city where the Lord was crucified. In three and a half days, it says all peoples, tribes, languages, nations, they will stare at their bodies. This is such a gruesome picture. It says no one will be allowed to bury them. They're they're left out in the open, in the public. And it says and all the people who belong to this world will gloat over them catch this, and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of these two prophets. It's like they create a holiday and start giving one another gifts because finally these two prophets who are pronouncing truth and calling people back to repentance, now they're out of our way and the people are gloating over them. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy Jesus warned that it would be this way. He told his apostles, he said, all nations will hate you because you're my followers. It's not easy sometimes following Jesus and taking a stand for him. And yet Jesus said, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. This is the hope that we hold on to. And look at the outcome for these two witnesses that had been murdered and bodies laid in the streets to be observed for three and a half days. It says, but after those days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. This is reminiscent to me of chapter 3 and 4 in Revelation where it says that there, John sees one that looked like a lamb who was slaughtered, but now he was standing A picture of Jesus who had been crucified, murdered, and yet had risen from the dead. And now these two witnesses, a second resurrection, they're brought back to life. And look at the people's response. It says, terror struck all who were staring at them. God was trying to wake people up again and show his power and his might. And it says, then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, come up here. It says, and they rose into heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. It's like God said, My witnesses have done their duty. They have stood for me. They have proclaimed my truth. They have called people to repent, to turn to Jesus. And even though they have given their lives, I now raise them again in honor. What does it say? That the outcome of those who endure their role is that we will ultimately be saved. John was writing this to remind the seven churches that were going through such a horrendous time to stay faithful, to be his witnesses, to endure to the end. And he's writing to remind us of the very same thing. There's three things that that just seemed to rise out of this chapter that we need to hold on to. There are three things that I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he knew, he had come to realize and believe and give himself to, that one, God has called us to be his witnesses. And a witness, it's just somebody that tells their story, tells what they've experienced. A witness doesn't have to convince everybody, doesn't have to change everybody. A witness just says what happened or what has happened to them that's our role just share your story what god's done in your life how he's bringing you hope in the midst of darkness how he's carried you through difficult times how you can look back and see times where man you didn't feel him you couldn't see him and yet he was working he's here not only to be his witnesses, because his promise is that when we are his witnesses, he will provide his power. Remember, those, those two witnesses were divine light bearers, but they were also given great power. And that's God's promise to those that stand up for him, that speak his truth. Acts one says, but you will. I love how definitive it is. He says, you will. Like, this is something we can count on. We can bank on this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. That when we take a step into our role to share our faith with others and serve others in love, that God's power will come to bear on our lives and He will help us. He will be there in the midst. But secondly, John wants us to know that it won't be easy. That there might be opposition, that there might be persecution, that there might be suffering. And he's honest enough to let us in on that. And he was honest enough to let the people of the seven churches in the book of Revelation in on this truth as well. Why? Because John, he's not just writing as a, a poet with all this crazy imagery. He's not just writing as a theologian to help us understand some truths about God. He's also writing as a pastor to come alongside, to encourage, to say, keep going. And finally, Revelation 11 reminds us that God gives life to those who endure. Don't give up. Because Jesus has not given up on us. He still has a sovereign plan that He is working out in this world, as tough as it gets, as dark as sometimes it may feel. We endure to the end with His strength, with His power. Remember, the enemy, yes, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. This is the tension that we're going to feel. But at the very same time, Jesus said, but I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, no matter what we're facing. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these two witnesses that are yet to come but remind us of our role in this world. To stand for you, to to live out your kind of love for others so that people might see the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. And God, thank you that you are so transparent with us that it will not always be easy. But thank you for your promise to be with us to empower us so that we can endure to the very end. Help us to be more like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was willing to count the costs and give it all because you had given so much already. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I love how the end of Revelation 11 ends. Another trumpet is blown and it's like God lifts back the veil so that we can see what is yet to come, and he ends this way. He says, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and always was, for you have assumed your great power and you have begun to reign. He says, the nations were filled with wrath, but now the time for your wrath has come, and it's time to judge the dead and to reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all, he says, who fear your name from the least to the greatest. He says it's time to destroy all those who have caused destruction on the earth. And though we have not faced that day yet, we are living between that future day and this day. And until that day, he's called us to be his witnesses, even when it's hard. And he'll promise to give us the power to endure even to the end. Would you stand up with me and let's close our services pronouncing this benediction together over one another. Revelation 1-4, let's say it out loud together. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday.